passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hello, everybody. It's John Pollock and Waiting, and it's Rewind to Smackdown, and we're starting the show off on a very somber tone because uh, we have just found out about the untimely passing of Hana Kimura, uh, who was um, you know, a significant news story throughout the day, and it has the ultimate uh, tragic ending, uh, that being her passing at the age of uh, 22. And way this has been a story that we had been aware of today, of you know, several posts that she had made that were extremely concerning, uh, some including self-harm, and those posts were deleted. And then, you know, just as we were recording the show tonight, uh, stardom announcing that she has died. Uh, we don't have any other details beyond that at this point, but it's uh, it's a tragedy. That's the overriding detail. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, like, as John said, um, we had started recording our SmackDown review, and we were, you know, spent I guess the opening portion of the show talking about what we had known up until this day, and by the time that we had finished the the entire review. Um, I decided to just like look up an update, and that's when we saw the uh, Twitter, uh, Stardom's official Twitter, uh, uh, releasing this statement. And it's just, it's um, I so apologies everybody. It's still like like super, uh, I guess I don't know, fresh. And so um, it's weird because I, I feel like um, there you know I feel like I have. Again, it, this is just like sort. Of, at this point, everything is is just speculation. We don't know the exact reasons, and I don't know if we ever will. But at the same time, I feel like I at least have an idea, um, because you know, it's kind of strange because I feel like I've followed this person's like last several portions of her life, at least through a lens on a reality TV show called Terrace House. Uh, she of which she was a cast member. Um, and all I can really say is that, you know, uh, in the last several episodes, um, she didn't really come across, uh, very well, I would say, uh, judging by, you know, um, online reaction and, um, you know, you put together some of the cryptic tweets, um, that she released earlier in the day, um, as John mentioned, um, uh, also, some some image uh, some some featuring graphic images of her, um, you know, committing self harm. Um, it it to me, there's a very strong possibility this is a case of, um, 
somebody, you know, um, committing suicide based off of just terrible um, online uh, reaction to whatever persona was, you know, crafted uh, from of her image on television. And it's, it's fucking terrible. It's, it's awful, awful, awful to say, uh, even out loud. So, um, I'm not sure, John, like, you know, it's, it's, it's just incredibly ter- terrible. Cause like I, last night it would have been like 2 PM, 3 PM. I think when like her final text came out and then at that point, like everybody was like, you know, please check on her, please check on her. Um, some per- somebody tweeted that I don't even know. Like, anyway, none of that matters now because uh, we the know details the are very scarce. This is literally something that we have just learned within the past uh, ten minutes, fifteen minutes ago. Um, I'm sure a lot more will be available or at least somewhat known on Saturday, uh, and we'll provide those updates. Um, but we just wanted to address it off the top. There will be um, a time, maybe maybe Saturday night, when we do our show that we can um, talk about uh, Hanakamura's career. Uh, she was uh, an enormous star. Uh, with stardom and you know had just been uh, participated at the wrestle kingdom show that we went to uh, on the first night um it's it's horrible news uh, she was only 22 years of age and it's uh you know it caps off what's been a really terrible week in professional wrestling so uh our thoughts are with uh her family and friends it's a, a terrible tragedy and there's no really uh easy uh, segue to move on to the show, but uh, what you're about to hear was our show that we had recorded prior to learning of this uh, unfortunate news. So we're going to go into the rest of the news topics we got into and anything more on Hanakamura we will have up on the website, and I'm sure we'll be discussing this probably right off the top on Saturday night when we're back after the AEW pay-per-view. Yeah, and, we're, and um, we didn't get to do the Double or Nothing preview. We're probably not going to go back and record that, so just ignore any mention of that on the show. But really shitty week. Uh, that's you know all we have to say. And yeah, stay safe, everybody. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind to SmackDown. It's John Pollock here alongside Waiting a loaded edition of Rewind of SmackDown, if I do say so myself. You can say that. Yes, absolutely. You have earned the right to say it because this is indeed a very, very stacked edition of SmackDown. Rewind of SmackDown. Not only do we have our SmackDown review, we're going to go through some of the news of the day, but we're also going to quickly, briefly talk about Double or Nothing coming up tomorrow and as well a review, I would say, of the Dark Side of the Ring, the final days of Owen Hart. Yes, our final Dark Side of the Review. Uh, of the season, uh, pending a third one, um, should it be coming. So uh, we'll we'll chat about that as well. Uh, if you want to go check out, we did a pretty lengthy interview on Thursday's Cafe Hangout with David Bixenspan about the Owen Hart case, as well as the episode from Tuesday. lot of uh, topics we covered uh, with David on that show, if you want to go check that out. And a uh, quick mention that this weekend, Way and I will be going live on Saturday night, right after Double or Nothing, where... We will be running through that card, taking your phone calls uh, to listen live. That will be available for Double Double, Ice Cap, and Espresso patrons. Wednesday, sorry, Sunday, we've got Total Recall with Pauline and Wei Ting chatting about Total Bellas. Any uh, tease of what is to come? What what topics are covered on the last two weeks of Total Bellas, Way? You know, I actually try to stay away from it, so... Um... I don't really get spoiled and I haven't even watched the shows yet. So, uh, but I do believe you will get the, 
at least a partial payoff of uh, the first of Nikki's, I would say, pregnancy um, tests. Okay. So I don't even know what the result is. I don't know if this was just a first pregnancy test, a false alarm or something. I don't know. But Artem finds out that Nick- Nikki takes a pregnancy test, so we get to see the fallout of all that. And then apparently the Bellas um, themselves, okay, so I believe it's like Bree and Brian have an argument with Nicole and Artem because Nicole and Artem have to stay in their house and Brian's really upset because her he and Bree aren't getting enough alone time. It's it's a whole Oh, I saw a clip of that. That was on one of the I saw some clip of that that they put out of Brian just the the most angry you've ever seen the man. Yeah, I mean this up this season especially has really you could tell the dude is like really stressed out. It's yeah. Uh, and on Monday, I'm going to have an interview up on the site with uh, Jonathan Snowden, the author of the new Ken Shamrock book, uh, discussing uh, the critical praise that has come out already for the book. Is that an oxymoron? Critical praise? Critical praise? Well, no, why? Why would it be? Oh, critical sounds like negative, praise, positive. Uh, there, there's been a lot of positivity about this book. I've read the entire thing, so I... I would certainly recommend it. Uh, that's going to be up on uh, Monday on you the can, website. You can be a critic and still, you know, your criticism can be positive. Or yeah, exactly. Yeah. Crit- yeah. Criticism is not necessarily a negative thing. All right. Uh, so look out for that on Monday. Let's get into the news way. And uh, on Friday evening, AEW confirmed what I think a lot of people were assuming was going to be the result, and that is uh, Britt Baker has been taken off the Double or Nothing pay-per-view tomorrow night. She's going to be replaced by Penelope Ford, who will take on Chris Statlander. Uh, This coming after the Dynamite show on Wednesday, where she took that kind of double-team Death Valley driver with Statlander and Hikaru Shida dropping Nyla Rose and just landing badly, affecting her right knee and taken out of the match. So she was set to go for an MRI on Thursday. Uh, AEW has not stated the severity of the injury, but did note there would be an update on her on the pay-per-view Saturday night. So, I mean, you hope it's not something major, like that would require like a reconstructive surgery, that hopefully it's a minor knee injury, but it obviously was enough to take her out of this pay-per-view. Um, that's, it's just really unfortunate. And Wednesday was a night where, I mean, we talked about the injury to Baker, the injury to Phoenix. There was also apparently, uh, an issue with Matt Jackson doing that cross body off the bleachers where he had a rib injury. Uh, but Phoenix and Matt Jackson looked to be, um, going ahead with their matches on Saturday. Yeah. Really unfortunate that, I mean, all this, like a slew of injuries. I mean, they, they went through, I would say, a pretty like good stretch of, of these tapings and these shows where, I mean, nothing was at least reported to, to really have, have occurred injury-wise. And, you know, three days before their big pay-per-view, of which they only do several a year, uh, a number of injuries. So, um, you know, it sounds like the other two are going to be okay. But uh, Britt Baker, I, you know, it's really bad timing because her career is really just taken off right now. So... Uh, hopefully it's not too serious. Yeah, and I, I imagine we'll get some kind of update either sometime Saturday or on the pay-per-view itself. Uh, now, we'll talk about this a bit more during SmackDown, but just out of nowhere, it was announced like in the least dramatic fashion possible tonight that AJ Styles has been traded to Friday Night SmackDown for future considerations. Yeah, this definitely caught me by surprise, and I think caught pretty much everybody by surprise. If you listen to the commentary on the show, it definitely felt like it was a a piece of... An insert. Yeah, an insert that Cole recorded after the fact, and, you know, 
it's again like one of those and, and was not the story they presented last week where it was aj's coming over from raw to go after the one title he's never won so yeah. something happened over this week of course but you know usually like if you're going to do something like this i would at the, at the very least expect them to come through with the other end of the trade you know in, instead it's like not only are we uh doing this after the fact but we also don't know the other part of the equation um so <laughs> Well, they have no one to send back. They're very low on people right now. Who can they send? Sami Zayn. He's been sent to Raw. Uh, I mean, who who are they going to trade at this point, I guess? Um, yeah, it just felt very thrown together. And I mean, it's I, I'm, I'm certain that there is like a deeper story to this uh, in that we had AJ return out of nowhere to get into the Money in the Bank match. No selling of the Undertaker match. Teasing the Undertaker rematch with several scenes alluding to that. Um then AJ goes on his Mixer account. He is pretty vocal about not being happy about his return, and he's never on Raw again after that. He was on one episode of Raw and Money in the Bank, and that's been the return up until SmackDown tonight. Right. I mean, who knows? I mean, if anything, though, the fact that it's like this, something like this is is just so such a last minute thing, and again, it, like it feels oddly very incomplete. Um, I think it just kind of tells you how care, like how how little to expect of. Of whatever brand split trade of you know four time a year what do they, what do they call it what do they call the this thing brand to brand invitation yeah it tells you how little I think you could really expect of it for them to really stick to any sort of rules like this is a weekend okay and um did we get any this week like they they announced they, they they said again tonight that there was the four times a year but I mean they never made mention like was Charlotte's appearance last week, and then the match tonight. Does that count as two? I don't know. And I does can... each person get four times a year? Is it just the brand? I mean, I have. They really have not gone into any detail other than saying it's it's four times a year that talent is allowed to go to the other brand. I mean, the fact that it's been two weeks now, and you and I still don't know. Uh, I would assume that they probably don't really have a great grasp of it either. And and it just you know it makes you wonder. and didn't mean anything week one ratings wise. I mean sure. the, the yeah. raw was in the toilet this week. I mean it didn't at least uh, like that was their first match they built up to with this. We'll see how Charlotte and Bailey uh, performs uh, this week for SmackDown. But at least the raw example, it's not like it meant anything. You would just hope that you know if you're going to announce a big plan or a stunt like this that you would at least somehow think the rules through so that you could at least commit to it for an, I don't know period of time. Um, but I don't know if they just were vague on purpose because they want the the right to to be able to say that they can change it later on or or what. But it's it's hard to get invested in any sort of the rules the, the, the this this promotion tries to convey. Do you do you read anything into you know with AJ on SmackDown? And I do think this does bolster SmackDown. Like they are, I mean, we'll talk about the the backlash title match. Like they are desperate for heels at the moment. Um, AJ being on SmackDown, I mean, that is. Um, you know, a boost for SmackDown, certainly. The the idea of moving him, you don't discount it completely. It's just it was done very um out of the blue and with the potential of a of an Undertaker rematch. Do you do you read that as its misdirection right now to t- be teasing this rematch with Taker and AJ? And if not, uh do you think that this throws any potential of that out the window or just use Undertaker on SmackDown if you're gonna go that direction? Yeah, I don't think it affects the Taker rematch at all. I think, you know, uh, what we probably can't assume is that Taker, AJ, probably isn't going to take place at 
uh, backlash. Um, if anything, I think we, we would assume that it would be one of the Saudi shows or even next year's WrestleMania. So there's really, and Taker's not really assigned to any brand, is he? So he, you could you could still do that match no matter where he is. He but could I, also be a, maybe he's a, he's a future consideration um, <laughs> and ends up on Raw if he's been smacked down this whole time. You're right. Yeah, he's never been drafted, I, I believe. How, so. how do you think that conversation goes between Raw and SmackDown? Like there's somebody like this, like Bruce Pritchard go, hey, uh, Raw, can we have AJ Styles? And Heyman's like, yeah, sure. Who do you want to trade for him? Eh, how, us, about a, how about an I.O.U.? Right, I mean, I.O.U. Do, on a piece of paper. <laughs> oh, sure. I'm not going to say to their credit, but I will say when they did do that deal where Alexa and Nikki, what was it? They were drafted to Raw separately, even though they could have been drafted as a team. They're drafted separately. I think separately. Alexa was brought, like, because they were separated and then Alexa was traded back. Was that I it? think they uh, no. I think they were both on Raw and then both got traded to SmackDown for future considerations, and they did pay off the future considerations. Who was Apollo Cruz? That's it. Yes, I I was blanking on who it was, but they <laughs> is they it did. still future considerations? Um, like that laid into it. I mean, I, like, I guess there's. I guess we can go at least uh, whatever it was six months of however that long they waited to do that one. See, does that happen in an actual? Sp- in actual sports, can you like trade a player to another team for future considerations, like later at the very end of the year? This would be like trading um, Kawhi Leonard, um, Demar Derozan, and Kawhi Leonard. I, I was gonna find us common ground, and I, I was just gonna go like the, like AJ in 2020. I would say would be like the equivalent of trading like John Olerud or Paul Molitor in '93 for the Jays. Uh, Away from the Jays for future considerations. <laughs> yeah. Uh, future considerations. Future, like, yeah. Oh. And the future consideration would be like, I don't know. Uh, you know who, you know which brand wins this trade? Who? Mixer. Oh, you think Mixer <laughs> is responsible for this? No, I, I want AJ's response on oh, Mixer. Oh, that's right. <laughs> well, guys, I tuned into SmackDown. And I heard, I heard that I am now on SmackDown. Wow, wow! <laughs> oh, dude, that's great. Your AJ is really good. Your AJ is. Been, I'm working on it. I'm working. Your on AJ it. is as good as the other Southern accent you tried to do uh, recently, which I forget. That was also really good. The other Southern accent, I don't even know which one this is. Might have been um, Heath Slater. It might have been like. Huh. Jimmy Hart is, is always a very good one. Jimmy Hart is like hit and miss. There was a time I thought I could really do Jimmy Hart well, and now I think I do a real poor man's Jimmy Hart. But you uh, do a, you, at least you do a Jimmy Hart. There aren't many Jimmy Hart impressions to compare to, so I think by default you win. Well, thank you. Uh, Total Divas, no Total Bellas, did on Thursday night five hundred thirty-three thousand viewers. This was their. Uh, Third highest number of the season, so that was positive. Seventh for the night on cable with a .25 in the demo. So it does seem that they had that one week kind of um, fall after losing Keeping Up with the Kardashians, but two weeks in a row, they seem to have done just fine without that big lead in. Like this is, I think this has been overall like a very strong season for Total Bellas, and I, I'm only following the numbers. I'm not speaking to the uh, the level of uh, show quality. That's Way's domain. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's, uh, it is interesting to me that they managed to keep up and even grow beyond, uh, the dip from the Kardashians. So, I mean, it, it's, Pre- pregnant Bellas are a draw. It, it, pregnancies are always a draw. Absolutely. 
Uh, for Monday, we've got Andrade versus Apollo Crews for the U.S. title. Drew McIntyre will be a guest on the MVP Lounge. And in a number one contenders match for Asuka's Raw women's title for Backlash, it's going to be Nia Jax versus NXT Women's Champion Charlotte Flair versus Natalia. This is a puzzling matchup uh, from Charlotte Flair, who is NXT Women's Champion that I guess... I guess you can at least set this up that she is going to try and win multiple women's titles. All right. It kind of makes the NXT title a little bit secondary. But Natalia, this woman just got beat clean on Monday by Shayna Baszler. And she is in the number one contenders match. This makes no sense on paper. Yeah. Yeah, it does not. Um, Where's Shayna? Shayna? She just forgot to write her name on the list, apparently. Like, does Michael Cole or uh, Tom Phillips, whoever's calling Raw these days, just have to open up the show and say, well, everyone, we don't want to beat Shayna right now, so Natalia's in this match, um, but you'll probably get an angle coming out of this, because Nia's going to win. That or just future considerations, you know, just the blanket future considerations for everything. Final note here is the UFC situation. I always like to bring Way up to date on what's going on in the UFC, because it's always something nuts. So they are running a card next Saturday, May the 30th. Earlier this week, Dana White had uh, sent uh, a message to the Las Vegas Review Journal stating, we're a go for May 30th, referring to the UFC Apex in Las Vegas that they have been trying to get the go-ahead in Nevada to run because that's, that's home base. It's a lot easier for them to run shows there. So, of course, Dana White somewhat jumping the gun here. They have not get gotten official approval yet from the commission to run they are going to be on the agenda for this event and their june uh, 5th pay-per-view that agenda meeting will happen on may 27th three days before this card is to take place they will find out Hmm. if they can run this show in nevada now given dana's response earlier this week and the fact that they are they announced a full card today i would imagine that dana believes this is a formality but Who's to say, right? I mean, yeah, it's like it's a pandemic. You know what I mean? Like who can say but like in a week's time where everything will be in Nevada? I mean, five days time, really. Um, if they would have to move this, it would be catastrophic that they would. He's already said if it wasn't Nevada, they were going to run in Arizona. But imagine everyone gets brought in like Tuesday, let's say next week of fight week, and you've got to move them because you can't run Nevada and this is on top of like the testing you have to do. I just, why are they even trying in Nevada for this one? I, like, yeah. I have to imagine they believe it's like a rubber stamp procedure on Wednesday to get this approved. But I don't know. That to but, me is, it's still a gamble. Do, you, do Like, can you think of reasons why Nevada might make, like why they wouldn't just do this one as well in Jacksonville? I think they want to do, I, I think that, once they finished last Saturday, they had been there this whole time in Jacksonville, and then they uprooted and came back to Nevada. So I don't think they – I think they had the idea that we're done in Jacksonville, and now we want to run all our shows from Nevada. It's a lot cheaper for them to run in Nevada. They have their whole placement at, at their facilities there, but they haven't gotten the go-ahead yet from Nevada. So, I mean, to me, if you wanted to run this May 30th card, I think to be safe, you should have been doing it elsewhere because – this. This meeting is not happening until Wednesday, and they're going to vote on the Fight Night card and the pay-per-view the first weekend of June. But um, anyway, they announced a full card today, and it's headlined by Tyron Woodley and Gilbert Burns. But uh, 
when you look at the the makeup of this card, this is a uh, not a card that I see a lot of people uh, adjusting their plans for. But they've been very successful with these cards so far. They've done very well. Um, we'll see if this extends because it's it's not very high on name value. Uh, beyond like Tyron Woodley here, a few names mixed out. Uh, one interesting story is that Kevin Holland, who fought last weekend, is on this card two weeks apart, and he's fighting at a lower weight class on this card. He went from middleweight this past Saturday, and he's going to fight at welterweight on this show. So uh, one thing is for sure, there is never a shortage of dramatics when it comes to these UFC cards every weekend. Part of me really wonders if like Dana just secretly loves this drama. Like he just... Like, this is the ultimate form of gambling, isn't it? It's like, you know, putting, put, we're going to announce the card, and then it might happen or it might not happen, but let's find out. And um, at the same time, risk a lot of inconvenience, potentially for a whole lot of people. But, uh, geez, wow. Okay, well, I look forward to the next update. Well, let's move on to SmackDown. From Friday evening, it started off with a, a video honoring all of the U.S. soldiers, this in advance of uh, Memorial Day on Monday. And we started things off with the dirt sheet, which I was happy to see they've uh, kept Howard Finkel's voice doing the intro. I didn't think that was going to be in danger of changing. No, who knows? It was uh, it was nice to hear his voice, even if it was like just for this, this dirt sheet intro. Mm-hmm. Morrison said that his abs are now certified Instagram influencers. Miz refuses to live in a world where Otis is Mr. Money in the Bank, so Morrison calls him Mr. Honey Baked Ham. Miz calls Braun an enabler for Otis, and it was a mistake him teaming with him last week. Morrison, uh, they said it makes no sense what they're doing. Morrison says, yeah, just like Becky choosing to have a child with Seth Rollins. They asked why Braun was able to get the title match with Goldberg at WrestleMania when he was the one replaced in the Wyatt family by puppets. And Bray chose stuffed animals over Braun. So they went and showed us a catalog of the rejected puppets by Bray Wyatt that were still preferred over Braun Strowman. This included Shiloh, the Lonely Laundry Lass, Dookie, the Diaper Boy, complete with farting sound effects, and Mandy Quinn Rose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who sh- uh, shouts things into Otis's ear to help him lose or something like that? Was that the bio? Yeah, I think we got a dick joke here about Braun Strowman. Right. All right. Yeah. I mean, uh, I would, I'll say visually interesting. Maybe even, uh, I mean, a lot of work went, to, went into creating these puppets, I'll say. Certainly. Uh but the jokes were just lame. And I know the gimmick is that they, they're supposed to be, like, lame. I'm just sick of that excuse. Especially when I'm watching WWE. Oh, you don't get it. It's supposed to be bad. <laughs> I mean, the, is this the whole show? Is the whole show supposed to be bad? Because then I guess they're doing a great job. But, man, like, uh, I, it's just... It, it is what it is. It's fine. It's it's their level of humor. Wait, you didn't get it. Yeah, You didn't get this no. deep level of humor. Braun comes out laughing. He was the only one. He tosses their chairs to the floor, and he says their show is not half bad. They're kind of funny, and tells them, ask me about Bray Wyatt. Miz says that Bray is not done with you yet. You fought Bray, uh, and you have to deal with his sickness. And uh, Miz talks about his own feud with him, where he spiraled to the lowest point of his life. Uh, Morrison was the one who saved him from Bray. 
And Morrison then cuts a promo about what the Miz could do to Braun Strowman in a one-on-one situation. Miz is all aghast at this at this notion as Braun accepts a challenge to take on the Miz. And the Miz is very upset that he's got to take on Braun. You know, I thought the Miz and Morrison were amusing as they got to the match announcement. Um, they brought some personality into the segment. Um, otherwise, you know, Braun as a champion, for some reason to me, is still just really... Not that interesting right now. Um, just does not feel like the star of the show. Feels very far from it. You know, uh, as we're comparing Braun to Drew McIntyre, my question to you is: Which T-shirt would you rather buy right now? The 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 Strowman Express shirt that he's currently modeling, or Drew's new T-shirt that reads "Talk Less, Clay More." Uh, okay, well, just judging by the tagline, that sounds <laughs> hilarious. Um, talk less, clay more. Talk less, clay more. I gotta look at this shirt. Talk talk less, clay more. Let me just look this up. Talk less, clay more. Um, wow. If you say, if you say it really fast, it sounds like topless, clay more. Talk less, clay more. I see it. Um, you know, I'll tell you, uh, I don't think I'll be getting either of these shirts. Instead, I would recommend everybody save your money. And instead, div- the, uh, uh, divert it to the brand new Shad Gaspard shirt, which MVP uh, has posted about. And um, some of you may not know this, but our own Robert Pearson had a hand in designing this. Uh, excellent, excellent graphic of uh, Shad Gaspard. And all proceeds, of course, will be pr- uh, uh, all, all profits of the shirt will be going towards uh, the family of Shad Gaspard. So I encourage everybody to check that out. I believe Pro Wrestling Tees themselves have a um, uh, discount, 20% off uh, discount for Memorial Day. So if you use the coupon code MEMORIAL, get the shirt uh, and, and support the Gaspard family. That's excellent. That's, uh, that's really great. And it's, uh, it's a really great design that uh, Robert put together for a tremendous cause. And MVP as well. And MVP, yeah. yes. Uh, Braun Strowman and The Miz had uh, their match here. It's Braun just throwing him around all over the place. Miz then catches him with a knee, and Morrison leaps off the barricade with his leaping kick. Just took him right out. Uh, Braun then runs into the post, missing Miz. These babyfaces can't hit. Uh, they can't hit any humans. They just run into every post, desk, st- uh, steps imaginable. Um. Yeah, of course. There was a lot of damaged uh, ring equipment tonight. You know, um, it's it's all legal though. Braun, uh, Braun gets drop kicked in the knee, but then blocks the DDT. Dex Morrison off the apron, and he catches Miz with the power slam to win this match in three forty three. So the idea is he destroyed Morrison last week in the tag match. He pinned Miz without much problems here. So you know what? Morrison's going to challenge Strowman at Backlash to a two on one handicap match for the WWE title. Graves is so excited because we could have co-WWE champions, and I was almost waiting for the hacker to come on and just explain the heel situation on SmackDown right now of <laughs> a depleted lineup uh, because this is the – this is desperation time to me. This is our title program for the next few weeks. Oh, my God. I didn't even realize that you know this might be due to the fact that they just don't really have many other people. God, like, yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I hate matches like these, especially when they're for your world title, especially when they're on a pay-per-view. Number one, they they just kill that tag team, win or lose. 
Um, and they're just like, they just don't create, I would say, very desirable, believable results. You go into a match. He's just destroyed these guys. It's like, now I want to see them together. It's, yeah. And at least no for me, like, I, I, I really feel like the possibility of Miz and Morrison being co-champions is, is, is going to be pretty slim. Um, I mean, they could prove me wrong. I wouldn't see it coming, you know? Like, it would be a great, great surprise. Oh, man. But... No one saw it coming. But yeah. these matches really do feel more like to me like they're exhibitions reserved for TV or even just a dark match rather than something you would seriously take seriously or even pay for on a pay-per-view. Yeah, and I imagine they just they want to keep the fiend off for now until they're ready to bring him back for the the restart with Braun. I guess so. Yeah. AJ Styles the newly acquired AJ Styles against Shinsuke Nakamura in the Intercontinental Title Tournament. They announced the winner will take on Elias next week. What a threat. Uh, Graves predicts the winner of this match wins the entire tournament. Uh, they go to a commercial break after Nakamura hit the uh, sliding German off the middle rope. And then it's Nakamura attacking him with kicks. This is when Cole just casually mentions that AJ has been uh, traded to SmackDown for future considerations. Styles lands a Pele kick. They're trading strikes. He hit the Ushiguroshi, which I believe was identified of uh, Styles, hit him on the neck, and then rolled into the calf crusher. Nakamura gets that's to what the... Ushiguroshi means in Japanese. Is that the translation? Him on the neck. On the neck. <laughs> um, Nakamura then hits him. Cole calls it the Michinoku driver, and Graves says, yes, Nakamura with the landslide. Then hits a you know, knee I, off. The- I love that how like Graves didn't like let that one slip. He's just like, it, I love it when like announcers will subtly correct the other announcer, but without saying like straight up, "Hey, you're wrong." It, it's more like, "Yeah, he did that." You like, and they'll say the proper name of the move. It's great. Uh, he hits a knee off the turnbuckle. Uh, it really picks up here. The Kinshasa gets uh, set up, and he gets caught with a roll-up by AJ. And from the roll-up, Nakamura gets the legs around to apply the triangle. AJ stands up with the triangle, gets one arm hooked with the leg, and hits a Styles Clash, or at least a modify or half a version of it, and only gets the two count, but couldn't hit the full version of it. Inzaguri off the apron by AJ, followed by the phenomenal forearm. This went 13-17, including the commercial break. Uh, I, I thought a really strong outing from from these two that have been, you know, they they their feud in 18 did not really uh, light the world on fire, maybe save for their money in the bank match. But this was a really entertaining TV match, and I, I really enjoyed the closing minutes. I thought it was good. Yeah, in ring. Um I, oh, you I, hated this. I didn't hate it. It's just it's it, a lot of the matches, especially lately, uh, especially this week, I have to say, like, they, they're really difficult for me to get into. I recognize that they're good matches, but this one, I don't know if it's just the empty arena setting or the fact that I was really disappointed by the lack of promotion for this one to remind us of the rivalry, to really, you know, remind us of the prestigious match you used to have at one time heading into WrestleMania. I, I, I didn't really feel any sort of anticipation going into it. And I, in fact, I had pretty much forgotten that it was going to exist so, uh, uh, on this show. So um, it, it was a perfectly fine match. I, I guess I just didn't find myself getting into it that much. Bailey was with Sasha backstage, and she doesn't want Sasha in her corner tonight because Flair and her comments last week, and she doesn't want the sheep to believe what Charlotte's saying, so she's going to prove she can beat Charlotte without Sasha's help. So they agree to have Sasha stay in the back, and Sasha says, thanks a lot for bringing me 
out to this arena in a pandemic to hang out in the back. Well, that's why she was hanging out with Lana on Instagram. Well, this is this is all the motivation Sasha needs for a babyface turn. You're going to waste my time like this? I could be at home right now, safe. You're putting me into harm's way. Uh, we have the Raw promo for what's coming up on Monday. And <laughs> I know that it's completely ridiculous. For the next three weeks, I'm going to enjoy every time that the announcers have to plug the greatest wrestling match ever. Because it's so comical. It's 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 the most outlandish tagline they've ever attached to a match that I can't even take this match seriously right now. It's so silly, but I love hearing Cole have to promote it seriously in the read. And now they've got this stacked up animation, greatest wrestling match Dude. ever. It's so it's it's oh. such a disservice to these two that have to go out and, and perform with this clown show of a promotion that they have attached to this match. It's absolutely ridiculous. Well, there's zero logical explanation about why they're doing this, except for this being Vince McMahon's idea of a cruel joke. Um, like I, I love it. Make, make your performers look like fools having to promote this, and your announcers have no credibility. I'm all for it. Go just, for it. I just imagine like the, the conversation they might have had that might have led Vince to like get to this decision. So maybe it was like you know Edge and Orton complaining about having to do the false count anywhere match, and Vince is saying like, oh well, maybe the next match you guys should have needs to be some sort of I don't know a uh, uh, special uh, infernal match, and then Edge and Orton are just like, can we just have a wrestling match, please? Well, you want to have a wrestling match? Okay, well then fine. We're going to call it the... How about this? We're going to call it the greatest wrestling match ever. All right? You enjoy that. Live up to that. Yeah. The the third match is going to be... <laughs> the six-star classic. I mean, by this should be better than that, shouldn't it? This should be... Seven. I guess it should top it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're in for those uh, that promo for the next couple of weeks. Charlotte Flair and Bailey. Uh, we had Bailey miss a baseball slide and get clotheslined on the floor. Uh, Banks is watching in the back as Flair is beating her down. And then we got the the mention here that they had made uh, official already. Charlotte, Io Shirai, and Rhea Ripley on June seventh at the Takeover event. So we've got Flair against Bailey tonight. Flair in a number one contenders match on Monday on Raw. Then we've got Flair, who's a regular on NXT. She's then got the In Your House match, and then potentially doing something at Backlash the following week. Yeah, they're really using her for everything. And, I mean, on the one hand, it shows you how, how much they need her, how much they rely on her. Um, it also opens up to, like, her being booked really inconsistently. And uh, I do wonder, like, what the end result is. You know, what what is the... Like, I worry that the NXT title in the end will, will be the one that is going to be, like, the one that suffers. But um, if you're a Charlotte fan, it's a great time. Uh, she did a moonsault, landed on her feet. She applied a lion tamer at one point, And then Bailey reverses out, hits the elbow off the top for a two count. And then Bailey starts chopping Charlotte, who is laughing at these chops as Bailey yells, You're sick! You're sick! <laughs> Some of the the dialogue that the performers have to exchange, I, I think we need... Like, some are good at it. Many are bad with it. You know, you could definitely tell, like, they've been at least encouraged to like take advantage of the empty arena setting a bit more by having them speak out. And often, I think it 
it works out well enough, but certainly, especially like here in NXT, it's, it's overused and sometimes like to bad effect. So I want, I don't know, maybe they just need to have a, a quota, you know, the person who's in charge of the bitch quota on the show should also say how many, uh, how many word bubbles are allowed on every episode. I don't think we got one bitch on television this week. Well, maybe they're saving them up. Okay. Yeah. Um, maybe it's going to be a, a tagline for the July pay-per-view. Well, sure, they need something, yeah. Anyway, Bailey goes for her own figure four, gets caught with a right hand. Now Flair attacks her with chops. Just sick. You're sick. And Bailey uh, ends up tumbling out of the corner with Charlotte, rolls her up, grabbing the bottom rope and pins Charlotte. 1456. The announcers really don't even put any kind of emphasis on on uh, Bailey cheating. They just said she she silenced the doubters. She did this without Charlotte. She won, or she did this without Sasha. She won. So I mean, good on Bailey, I guess. Uh, if, you, if you got the rope to grab onto, great. And Charlotte just kind of laughed. I guess the idea is, what, is that when you're dealing with two heels, cheating is pretty much like even ground for the two. And I I did enjoy like Charlotte's reaction to getting caught here. It was like she she chuckled at the end uh, immediately after she got pinned, and she had this like big smile on her face after losing, like you know almost like she, as if she was the Joker. But it was like the idea that she couldn't, she can't believe she let that one slip. She fell for you know oldest trick in the book type of thing, and I I enjoyed the reaction. I thought it was a good back and forth match between these two. You know I recognize it was above average quality. So Charlotte should be – she's in this number one contenders match for the Raw title. And, uh, I mean, she are we going to keep this Bailey feud going? Maybe she's going to have three title defenses or matches at the pay-per-view. I don't think this is a feud. I think this was, you know, an attempt to get a big match on a TV show uh, using your floater in Charlotte. Banks hug Bailey backstage. You beat Charlotte. Bailey says, you didn't think I could do it. And there's this tense moment before she laughs and says, I'm just joking. Dolph Ziggler and Sonya Deville against Otis and Mandy Rose. And uh, Mandy has adopted Lana's wardrobe from her time with Dolph Ziggler. The denim uh, look. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the men start off, but the women get tagged in quickly thereafter. Uh, Ziggler pulls Otis off the apron, and there goes Otis into the steps. And this was a hell of a toss into the steps because Otis was down for about an hour in pain. He instructed Rose to get back into the ring Otis is just laid out there, and DeVille is beating down on Mandy until Otis fights back onto the apron. Rose hits a running knee, hot tag. Uh, This hot tag was very brief because the women were right back in. Uh, Some good offense here from Mandy. She went for the double underhook, but it gets stopped, and DeVille hits her with a knee to the back of the head while Otis and Ziggler are fighting amongst themselves. And DeVille, after the knee strike, gets the win in 9.35, and as Otis goes to check on Mandy, Ziggler super kicks him. Mm-hmm. I thought a pretty decent match, you know, so to me, Sonya again, continues to stand out as like a real emerging star performer in ring. Um, I, I, I can't even tell if like she, she's gotten better because I guess I just don't even remember what level she was at before, but I enjoyed her here and I can only maybe chalk that up to her leveling up as a character and as a promo because I'm much more invested in her as a character in her matches now. 
Uh, Jeff Hardy was in the back uh, just talking about the fans joining him for one more good run. He didn't know where this would lead him, but his new path is this title tournament. It's a title that's near and dear to his heart. And he talks about the first championship he won on his own, uh, which, if you recall, he held on to for six long days. And everything will come full circle by winning this title again. His 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 lips moved though. I thought that this was a, an opportunity to maybe get into side inside his imagination. Yeah. Um, I wonder if he's pitched that to WWE, and I wonder how they would feel about it because they're they're not above doing like wacky crazy shit. Um, but it has to be their own wacky crazy shit. So, uh, I wonder. They had a graphic uh, for Shad Gaspard, and uh, that was the only mention of him on the show was the graphic when they came back from break here. Yeah, well, I mean, this was a taped show, wasn't it? Yes. Yes, it was. So I'm curious if they'll do something more extensive on, on Monday's show. Like what? They've done quite a lot. Like, um, Yeah, I, I would think. Like, that was – not only was it, a, like, a big story, but they have done quite a lot on him, like, on the digital side of things. Yeah, yeah, I wonder. I wonder. I mean, I hate playing this game of like trying to determine like where somebody ranks in terms of importance uh, under in the WWE's eyes. Um yeah, maybe they might. Uh the Forgotten Sons had a segment here where Steve Cutler was front and center as the speaker this time. He said they've gone through dark times and if they make you uncomfortable, good. That is our blood on your hands. And it's only fair to have your blood on our hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool lines. Means they're allowed the usage of blood, I guess. Mm, metaphorical blood. Yeah, They put a disclaimer off the top of these ones, you know, as if uh, what they're saying is going to be really controversial and they don't reflect the views of the WWE. And uh, I guess this, this to some people would be controversial. Um. You know, just given the way they started the show, if they had done a promo uh, tying it into Memorial Day, I think they would have probably gotten that reaction from people. Certainly. Absolutely. And yeah, like, you know, last last week I, I said, like, this certainly has the potential of, of, you know, treading into, I would say, political ground that the WWE on its mainstream channels have, have not really tried to, you know, get into for a long, long time. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll see how they continue to i don't know dance around it yeah i mean this was i mean it's it, like the promo is there that of you know we're the people who fought for your freedom and memorial day is just another holiday to you you don't understand the significance of it i mean there is um that was actually the direction i was like thinking where they went given you know that video that we saw at the start of the show but um i, I don't know how there, there's certainly um, that direction you could go with these characters, and I'm curious to see how far they want to go in that direction. Well, here's the other thing is, and this is especially interesting because we're not doing these shows with any sort of crowd, but if there was a crowd, I could see this being a group that would get cheered in some places and booed in others. Hmm. Um, but because we don't have a crowd, really, they're in complete control of, of how they want to be portrayed. So... Um, I I I wonder. I mean, I wonder if they'll continue to treat them as heels, or maybe this is in a twisted way, like their way of promoting them as baby faces. I'm not sure. I could totally see Vince seeing these guys as baby faces right now. Definitely. Mm-hmm. 
Miz asked why Morrison did that, making him face Braun tonight. Renee walks in and mentions that he's Braun's beaten you too decisively. Why do we want to watch this a backlash? They say Strowman has a poor record in handicap matches, and Morrison quotes Sun Tzu, and he will make his life hell. And as they start doing their cheer, Renee just walks away. She doesn't want to participate. Yeah. Jeff Hardy, Sheamus, IC title tournament, the big showdown between the two. They state that Sheamus has never won the Intercontinental title. Jeff Hardy has won it four times. And the winner of this will face Daniel Bryan next week. So it sounds like we're getting both semifinals with AJ Elias and then uh, Bryan against the winner here. Sheamus uh, grabs Hardy's face and tells him to smile for the camera. And then Sheamus gets his neck snapped on the rope. Hardy gets caught and driven into the post and then dumped onto the announcer's desk. Sheamus starts yelling at Cole for putting that piece of crap over for the last four weeks. They go through a commercial. Sheamus then dominates this match for like the third hour of Raw. Hardy finally lands on his feet, gets out of the way, makes his comeback, scales the barricade, clotheslining Sheamus on the floor. Uh, This is after Sheamus has missed Hardy and he ran shoulder first into the post. I thought that was so cool because Jeff had been thrown into the corner, therefore stationary target for Sheamus. He builds up all this momentum by escalating in speed towards the corner, but then the target moves, but all of that momentum sends Sheamus into the post with his shoulder taking all of the damage. I was like, wow, that's amazing. What an interesting usage of the post. Oh, it was quite innovative. Yeah. Wow. He hurt his shoulder. Jeff goes listen, for a swan. John, it's, come on. It's, it, there's only so much you can do in this medium, okay? I could watch that spot a thousand times a year. Easily. <laughs> I bet I have. We do. Jeff goes for the swanton and lands on the knees of Sheamus. And then Sheamus drills him with a knee. The brogue kick misses. And then... <laughs> Jeff Hardy like wins this pretty much like the clean version of how Bailey beat Charlotte just catches him with this roll up and wins in 1406 and Sheamus has pretty much the same reaction Charlotte did. It's a pretty predictable format of a WWE match really at this point. Bully beats up the underdog underdog for like 90% of the match, then the underdog sneaks by with like a roll up victory afterwards. It's just it's just one of their things. Um but overall, like good aggressive main event. I was impressed by seeing Sheamus here. He came out. He felt very comfortable and willing to actually improvise, and you know, feeling like he was a bit more loose in being a character rather than just playing a role here. Um, fine match, yeah, I guess. You know, like all the matches on the show to me, I thought they were fine. But to me, there's really nothing all that notable nor that memorable. But nothing was really bad by any means. But they fil- did their job of fulfilling two hours of TV. I really liked Styles and Nakamura, and I thought that Deville and Rose had like very good chemistry in, in the ring. Not not surprisingly either. I thought they performed very well in that match, and yeah, that was SmackDown. I don't uh, disagree with too much other uh, for, from you on, on this show. It was kind of um, you know kind of an average main event. It didn't really grab me. It was a lot of uh, one sided with Sheamus for a long period of time. Um, yeah. With these, like, you know, um, second of, like, two tapings, I guess sometimes I... And this came probably, what, like, at the end of everything, right? After they did Raw and NXT and SmackDown? 
uh, I can't remember how they broke them up. If it was, um, it might have been a Raw and SmackDown on the Monday and a Raw and SmackDown on Tuesday. Right. I okay. think that's how it worked out. Yeah. I mean, because um... next week they're doing two Raws Monday, two SmackDowns Tuesday, and two NXTs on Wednesday. That's the mm-hmm. schedule coming up uh, next week. Yeah, I just, you know, under the circumstances, I, I, I would assume that they're just probably quite content to, p- to provide two hours of anything. Um, and this wasn't even bad. I, I'm not even trying to say that, but it, it just, um, it did feel like at moments this was like, you know, a show that with a lot of raw material that they had to stitch together to like, you know, make into just, uh, I mean, a show. But um, it was fine, I guess, under under the circumstances. I think worth also noting was that they didn't do the um, short commercial break thing this time. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we had commercial breaks for uh, many matches. We actually had some pretty long matches on this show in terms of, like, actual television time. Yeah. So, all right, let's go to some feedback uh, before we uh, dive into uh, – we'll go into the Owen review and – Double or nothing. Well, I actually opened it up to for people to leave some Dark Side of the Ring feedback as well, but maybe. We'll oh, okay, just, then let, let's do this. At well, the end, we can actually. Uh, most people just just left SmackDown feedback, so maybe we'll just go through that uh, for the most part. I think we could start here. Okay, let's go to uh, Adam from the street. Who uh, says? I'll I'll go. <laughs> who says the upcoming Universal Title match makes the upcoming Universal Title match made is as confusing as having Booker T involved in that tag match on the episode of Nitro from 2000 you guys recently reviewed. No, it's not that insane. Yeah, it's not. Charlotte's involvement in the triple threat match on Monday has me wondering whether she will eventually hold all three titles. The Forgotten Sons are basically three John Rambos. Sheamus's body never ceases to become a canvas for his opponent in every match he's in. And was that Styles-Nakamura match their best in the WWE? I wouldn't go with that. I remember their Money in the Bank match, which was the last match of their feud, being very good uh, in 18. I, I would say that would be their best WWE match. But uh, tonight wasn't bad. I, I really liked tonight's match. Nick from Lansing. SmackDown feels like the show treading water the most, at least in terms of story, in a single episode. In my opinion, Sasha's friendship with Bailey and the Sonya Mandy story have been the feuds keeping the show moving the most. Charlotte and Bailey had a standout match, and at this point, especially with no crowds, I'm past caring why certain people are going show to show if it means we get good matches. The rest of the show was all right, but nothing to write home about for me. You did write into the forum, though. Yeah, that's true. I mean, imagine sitting down, having watched a great wrestling show, and you're uh, overseas, and uh, dear mom and dad, just saw (laughs) AJ and Nakamura tear it up after that uh, high expectations two years ago. Um, This was a beautiful match, and I just wanted to let you two know, um, I'm also safe with regards. Did people do that in the past? Like, they, they go to like some sort of, I don't know play or a uh, concert they li- and they liked it so much they just had to write home about it i mean should we say it's nothing to uh text home about or nothing to, nothing even, to even like forum about nothing to facetime about yeah i'm always curious like the, the origin of certain like phrases we say like uh mm-hmm. such as that all right, we go to Alex in Portland who says, While none of the matches stood out, tonight was a good showing for character and story development. During the dirt sheet, I was wondering why John Morrison was being used in a tag team when he's easily one of the most entertaining guys in the company right now. And then WWE booked him and Miz in a handicap match for the Universal Championship. 
What an odd year where both Miz and Morrison defend the tag team championships as individuals in a triple threat matches in triple threat matches, but together they get a shot at a singular universal championship. I'd absolutely love to see Miz and Morrison win the match. Braun literally did nothing to get put into the title match against Goldberg, and considering this is his first title reign, I feel there's no reason to get behind his character, whatever it is in this empty arena setting. Miz and Morrison have shown tremendous charisma lately, putting on solid matches. I'd rather see Otis interact with them as Mr. Money in the Bank instead of Braun. Question, I haven't seen anybody say anything positive about Charlotte's overexposure. In one week, she'll have broken up a number one contenders match for her title, faced the SmackDown Women's Champion, and faced off in a triple threat number one contenders match for the Raw Women's Championship. This level of push is building her up for something, but with Becky gone, I have no idea what that could be. Do you think WWE is pushing her so hard due to Becky, the number one woman in the company, being out for the remainder of this year? I mean, I think they were already at that at that kind of stage with Charlotte. She's, you know, she's clear cut the number one female in the company. I mean, she's one of the top performers in the company now in terms of like, you know, if you're listing like your stars that you're promoting at the moment, it's it's like Drew, Charlotte, um, and Braun is way below those two, I would say, at the moment. What, what do they have to gain from? From Charlotte holding all three belts. I don't think they're going that direction. I think they're just kind of keeping her on on many shows right now. Like, it would just ice so many people from having somebody to be able to chase. Well, it's it's backwards. Like, they've already started the, the, the Nia Jax program with Asuka. Like, that was, to me, like, you've already shot the angle for that. And now we. it's almost like this triple threat on Monday is just simply like a formality and... The only reason I can see that they're putting Charlotte in is because they want to um, hopefully gain an audience for this this match by not. And I don't think they want to put Shayna in that spot for whatever reason, because that would have made, I mean, not a ton of sense to still have Natalia in this match. But it makes the finish of the submission match very confusing when the following week you're putting Natalia in this match. Like, mm-hmm. my, I imagine Natalia is just there to take the fall. They're not going to beat Charlotte. They're not going to beat Nia. And if anything, it's got to continue Natalia losing and snapping at some point. Sure. But it makes no sense storyline-wise for her to be in this match after last week. Mm. Jordan from Kitchener. The order placement for this show seemed completely out of whack, but nonetheless, here's my feedback. I like that we're not getting The Fiend versus Braun just yet. Instead, they pulled Vince Russo, uh, Vince Russo swerve and booked a two-on-one handicap match. That doesn't make any sense. Since when did the women's division become must-see on SmackDown? Bailey, Sasha, and Mandy Sonya keep bringing me back every week. Is it too early to consider AJ and Nakamura the best rivals each has had in the WWE? Yes. Um, John, you jinx us because tonight every match got a commercial break. I think that would be the case. Uh, outside of uh, Braun, did Braun and Miz get a commercial break? That one was quick. I, th- I don't think we had a break in that one, but I think everything else did. Yeah, yeah, it seemed like it. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for your feedback. And the forum gave this one a 5.6. So got to pass. Cool. What's next? Let's do uh, – let's talk about AEW uh, Double or Nothing and then – or uh, actually, let's do Dark Side. Let's do Dark Side. All right. Well, this was the final days of Owen Hart. And, you know, a lot has been discussed about this particular episode. Um, you know, we're, we're not going to go into all about, the, like, the case and such, but in terms of such a complex story way, one that you know quite a lot about, how did you think they went about the uh, the storytelling and, in particular, uh, focusing significantly on uh, the children, which this was the first time we've ever heard from Oj and Athena uh, speaking about their father? 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, this, this, uh, as you, you'll know, John, like, this is a story you could definitely spend, like, an entire movie or even, like, a whole TV season on if you really wanted to. But I think for a 43-minute special, I thought they did a tremendous job of introducing to the layman who Owen Hart was, uh, what made him special, how stupid and how completely avoidable and tragic his death was, and, and the aftermath his family was left to deal with. Um it's a good Coles notes version of the bigger story. And it's a really important one because a lot of people, I, I guess, you know, up until this point, weren't aware of, of many of those details. What did you think? Um, I watched this. I actually got a screener for this on Monday and I watched this first thing on Monday morning. And within, I would say 20 minutes of watching this, I heard about the Chad Gaspard story. And then right after that, it was the Larry Sonka story. And it was, all of these cases of, you know, people that are have left behind children, and it was just like such a terrible day. And starting off with this just um, added to it, like watching it. I thought that the usage of the home videos was just, man, it was just crushing to watch when you're – especially that scene where Oge is talking about what a big fan of like trains he was, and you have that train set around their Christmas tree. And it's just – that to me, like you, you can hear the words, but it's also just to see them as children interacting with their father that I just thought it was um, a different level of just um, of an emotional tugging on your heart. Just watching this, that um, that that to me was like the part that resonates the most was just all of the the home video footage that they had in this. Oh, certainly, yeah, and, and you know, to be able to hear from Oj and Athena, who I would say for most wrestling fans, the last time we had seen these people was like in in at the calgary, the calgary in your house Indeed. yeah where like owen holding this little boy up on his shoulders with a little canadian flag in the ring and now all of a sudden you're seeing him and he's this man he's a man who's a lawyer who like it was incredibly well spoken on this show uh and in fact like you know obviously he got emotional but like it seemed like you know he was somebody who had really kind of like weathered the storm of all this and and had like calloused himself um over it but of course like when he, he did have to talk about that particular moment he he himself did you know start to break down um he came across as you know he and martha uh they came out across as just two incredibly brave people who have come out, out of the other side and athena as well of course you know who have come out of the other side of this thing like you know as like having you know turning into like really solid people yeah completely like well adjusted and dealing with you know this horrific tragedy that martha mentions you know she had this moment of clarity where it was two options that she had she could either spiral out of control and let this be devastating for her family which i mean it was devastating but could have been something that just destroyed her but instead they weathered through this and i'm sure that there were some incredibly difficult times but they seemed to have like a really almost a calmness about this that they were very measured in speaking about this that there is the the acknowledgement of the loss of owen but one that they are able to move on and i think like it, it's really frustrating to still see people talking about like this this whole Hall of Fame debate that to me is so silly when mm -hmm. it's very clear 
how important this Owen Hart Foundation is for all of these family members that this is something good that did come out of a horrific tragedy that has helped real people. And Owen is remembered on a daily basis because this foundation has legitimately helped a lot of people. And I don't I don't doubt that having that outlet, especially for Martha, helped extremely in the grieving process to know that this settlement money was able to start something that w- had you know an enormous positive effect on many people. And that's, that just – to, to even compare that to something as silly as a WWE Hall of Fame. Like that's mm-hmm. – it's the difference between the, the real world and people that are lost in the wrestling bubble. Yeah. Well, well yeah, that's it. I mean and, – and let me let me say like on that whole thing, it is a little disappointing that like that's the biggest kind of conversation piece coming out of this it's, documentary. It's stupid. It's a waste it's, of breath. I hate to yeah. even bring it up. But, that, but at the, at the same thing. time, I, I do understand that for a – like a wrestling fan who doesn't know anything about the Owen Hart Foundation or really anything else to do with the Hart family or Owen Hart outside of a wrestling context, their connection to Owen Hart is his wrestling life is, you know, and, and the way that perhaps they feel is the best way to, or maybe the only way they feel to maintain his memory is to do something like having him being inducted into the WWE hall of fame. But so I understand it, but at the same time, like you watch this documentary and I think you have a better grasp of the family's perspective and the family's perspective is that this man was not just a wrestler wrestling as they like they said it themselves wrestling was only a part of who he was like those are the words from his own son and in fact Athena after that blames wrestling for his dad no longer being here so you know um hopefully how can you not how can you yeah, not hopefully like after you some, somebody sees this they understand why this family would not give a shit if some fans want to see his wrestling career being celebrated in some fake hall of fame you know it's 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 it to the family it was just a job it was just a job that ended up costing him his life and you know in particular it's it's just it's it's so like weird because you know the wwe is control is in control of this man's career legacy, but at the same time they are the same people that are responsible for his death. So to me, like if I was in that position, um, like one definitely trumps the other, and I would never want to you know work with that company no matter what. Um, so I hope people understand that, and, and I think it's uh, people. I hope people also understand that you know to Owen's immediate family, like they celebrate his name not just through wrestling achievements but through the type of person that he was and that's the type of work that they they decide decide to put you know uh their their name towards in the owen hart foundation and it's also really important important to know how different i think they see owen hart's legacy compared to somebody like brett who's been very outspoken about putting owen in the hall of fame but you know brett brett's life is his wrestling to the family and he's someone that i mean he looks at that hall of fame as legitimate as the the baseball hall of fame like it's it's the mark of achievement on his career that this is a real hall of fame i mean it's like if you are a fan of like owen the in-ring performer which many many people were like all of that's there it's not like that stuff is not there for the public to see i mean it exists it's people I, I don't just know. have less of a reason to like look it up you know without i guess i don't know speeches and whatnot I, I like I said, John. I I do understand it, but it, it, when you see the perspective of the family and you, when you fully grasp how negligible this death was, and that they like and the way they treated the family afterwards, um, 
I, I, I completely throw out any sort of like, you know, want to, to, to celebrate his life with the same people that caused him or res- partly responsible, at least, you know, for his death. Uh, how about the other interview subjects beyond the uh, the immediate family? We had uh, Jim Ross, who, you know, this season really finds himself in the unenviable role of, you know, mm-hmm. d- he WWE representative. Incredi- that he handled is- it incredibly well, I have to say, in all these episodes. Like the Benoit one, this one, um, even like, um, what are some of the other ones? But like, he, for, he, Brawl for All, he, like, yeah. that's a silly one. But again, it's like one that, like, this... Like he becomes like the de facto representative of WWE in these ones. And here is the guy that is uh, there is no question that he is scarred from that night in Kansas City and having to be in the worst position possible. I don't know of too many broadcasters, regardless of um, what you're covering, that could have gone through with what he did. This was not even the case of of an announcer that is calling um, like an F1 or a a race car race. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we've seen tragedies occur there. This was, he was feet away from this occurring. He caught Owen falling right at the end. It's happening in front of him as he's got to continue going. He gets a 10 second countdown after being told Owen has died. Like how he did that broadcast is, I cannot fathom how he got through that beyond just, his experience and kicking things into autopilot. Like he, he's a, he can't remember a thing on that show. It's a blur to him. And I don't doubt that at all, but there is probably a lot of repressed uh, memories of that, that, you know, these kinds of stories when this is brought up about Owen, I'm sure it conjures up those memories. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, You know, he, he himself, like in this documentary said, it was probably the worst thing that happened to him uh, perhaps in his entire uh, career, if not e- even more than that. So, um, I, I, to me, I think the way he comes across here is, is certainly as somebody who's also victimized by the in- incident and having to continue to, you know, work. I mean, certainly like you think about when we think about like, you know, the aftermath of this, this whole event and, and everybody, you know, all the wrestlers having to go out there to perform on that same canvas that just saw this man die. Like Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler were, were also two people who had to carry on a performance as well. And, um, you know, unfortunately, like. I, I think it sucks because their voices are going to be like that clip of like JR announcing the death of the world is, is always going to be played forever and their faces are going to be associated with, with this whole terrible thing forever uh, as representatives of the company. Um, but I mean, I I thought Jim Ross, you know, the way he came across in the interview really showed you that he hated, hated, hated doing this. Uh, we also had a, a Jim Cornette who was just torn apart. Like he, he loved Owen. Um, he was, you know, I, I thought he really conveyed just how needless this was, how nonsensical it was. Um, Chris Jericho, who is like narrator slash interview subject in this one. Jericho was really interesting because like typically I think, you know, he, he plays the role. Yeah. Not just of narrator, but also as like a colleague. But in this one, he really played the role of a fan. Like he was just the biggest Owen Hart fan in the world, you know, and down to like drawing him as a kid. And he he was one he was on the law that night when he, um after Owen had died and just I, I just remember like he was, you know, shattered like everybody else was. Um and it was only years later that I realized like I knew Jericho was a fan of Owen Hart, but they really convey it strongly and you know, in the years like through his books, he's always made that 
that fact known about his affinity for Owen and here these two, y- you have to think that, you know, had, had this not happened, there, there's a great chance that, you know, Jericho has this drawing of him and Owen as tag team champions. That's not the most wild idea that that would have been something that if they had no ideas for Owen, Jericho comes in, he's kind of floundering in the fall of 99, that that, that would have been something that one of them pitches or that, that could have been something that happened. Certainly, like especially if they had that drawing. I, I mean, I certainly could have seen a whole program of like you know where they start start off. Maybe Jericho even has like a copy of the drawing, shows it to Owen. They team up and they end up being rivals. Um, you know, I guess you could you know fantasize about something like that. But mm-hmm. you know, there, there's a lot of discussion, especially from Jericho here, talking about how uh, if Owen had stuck around and if in in a couple years time with like the influx of more of the in ring, um, I guess. Uh, centric talents that were to come into the wwe they suggest that owen would have had like a career resurgence how how much validity do you give to that um i think that it's i agree with that i feel that owen was owen was caught in a time like 1999 like the the in-ring product is not great it's it's like at a pretty you know subpar level i mean they they were not churning out excellent matches 2000 that completely changes things and you know when you hear the age like owen dies at 34 and it's like oh my god wow. now that i like when i was younger it's like 34 that just sounds like it's it's older than it is and you know now now that i'm 36 i was like this is crazy like daniel bryan on friday turned 39 so put that into your head of the years that Owen had physically left in him, he has a very good contract at this time with WWE because of, you know, they mentioned how it was bumped up after Montreal. And, you know, he was going to do this for a number of uh, additional years. And you're telling me that between Jericho coming in, Benoit, that you knew he would have just, just loved to work with, with uh, him and Kurt Angle actually did a, a dark match together about two weeks before his death. And, on this this episode, there's a still photo of Owen, and you can see Kurt in the background. It's a still image from that dark match. Um, wow. You, you know, 2000 to me, it would have been a year that Owen, you know, I think he was just lost creatively because it was either angles he was not going to participate in or it was just goofy stuff that they were throwing at him. And it's crazy because if you were looking at, like, your depth chart of guys, you know, your, your talented guys – Owen's in that upper echelon, and I think 2000 would have been, you know, the opening where they were certainly going for a stronger in-ring product. And I, I think that he, by by the spring of 2000, he's only 35. He, to me, would have gotten several years out of it. And I think, I mean, who's to say if he would have had a hard out and wanted to to end his career at a certain point? But I do feel things would have dramatically turned around for him in 2000. I guess my only hesitancy to really believe in that is is the fact that this is the WWE who, in my opinion, have never really put a priority on, like, in-ring quality. And, you know, depending on how Owen was being booked at the time, um, I don't know if there was any telling whether or not he would have been, like, high enough on the card for them to to, to book him into, like, these long, great matches or if he would just be, like, a Sunday Night Heat type of guy. It's it's always a question. I mean, the thing was, he had a big bigger contract that you would have seen that they would have probably wanted to, to maximize their, their value. And at the same time, like with the, this influx of not just great in-ring performers, but Canadian talent too. I mean, it would, it would really behoove them to have Owen in a more meaningful role just for that Canadian market. And I mean, that was something they really um, just completely 
uh, didn't capitalize on after Brett left was trying to get Owen into a similar spot that Brett had, but he was just the victim of a lot of politics at the time. And Jesus, like six months later, he's in the nation of domination. It was just, they didn't know what to do with him in 98 and, and 99. It's like, it's the team with Jared. And then it's the blue blazer stuff. Like it just seemed, here's this great talent guy that can talk. Um, but they, it was just an era where he was not going to benefit from it. It would be a fun, like, you know, what if Elseworlds type of, like, fantasy booking thing to think about, like, where Owen would have ended up in, say, like, something like The Invasion, you know? Or, I don't know. Probably starting up with, like, maybe a tag team with, like, Landstorm or something. I don't know. Who knows? But, anyway. Uh, let's let's maybe talk about, like, how they handled um, the actual incident itself. How do you feel like that was covered? I mean, they, they went into, like, they... I think that they gave you a pretty good explanation of, of given the time they had and trying to do a lot in these 44 minutes of, I think a lot of people come away with this instead of looking at this as this freak accident, that this was something that was like, there was negligence involved. There was faulty equipment involved. Like this was not something that um, had some like 99% success rate. And uh, this was just that unfortunate 1%. This had a lot of problems attached to the stunt. And I think that when you, you see the evidence and you see the, like ultimately what this comes down to is like this, this desire by the company to use this quick release snap shackle to save a couple of seconds on television of unhooking this thing, as opposed to what had been used previous times with, with this, locking carabiner that was the much safer option and the the stunt team that had been using this prior they they refused to use this quick release and they bring in another another stunt team for this and you know there's a, a a lot that can be discussed about like the equipment that's used here but that that's ultimately what this is what what this all points towards and uh, i mean martha hart having that quick release snap mm-hmm. shackle i mean it was chilling just to see the image of that yeah, that the like visually, and that's what like I would say separates a, a a documentary on TV versus you know an article or like um you know something else that I guess you know, a book that can't really convey I think the visual of what the, how how shitty of like equipment something like this looked like for this type of purpose. Um, I'll say like you know on the technical side of things, talking about I think you know so much of the. I guess what went wrong here with like the, the Bobby Talbert and like how he ended up in, in this. Um, I do wish there was, they could have gotten into more of the technical details, gotten into the more time talking about exactly what went on. And I feel like they purposely probably shied away from like getting too into the weeds with like all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you, but, you could probably do like a half hour easily mm-hmm. on just like the, the rigging of it and inner, you know, in, in an ideal scenario, hear from Bobby Talbert, hear from uh, Ellis Edwards, who was the the stunt coordinator in WCW that oversaw Sting's repelling and later came to WWE. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, a a lot of the different people that were involved, like there were, um, you know, several people involved in in the stunt in Kansas City. Yeah, David Bixon fan has a number of of articles, I think, getting into a bit more detail about, you know, the fact that the original rigger refused to do the stunt. Um, I don't I don't think we got much info about that in particular. Uh, the cost of the original rigger versus, you know, what presumably Bobby Talbert cost. Yep. Um, that re- wasn't really gotten into here as well. Um, you know, uh, so there's that. Um, 
then we kind of get into the show continues controversy, you know, the show must go on type of thing. And which I thought was presented as sort of like the lasting, like while they settled out of court and therefore weren't able to fully prove that WWE was responsible for this. It, the, the show at least seemed to present that the fact that they continued on with the show was this sort of undeniable sin committed by the company. That's kind of how I took it. Yeah. I mean, it's one that, I mean, I think that night, like how much leeway do you give to this absolute catastrophe happening? Like this is at the end of the day, this wrestling company that is it's like, look what we have just experienced over the past two months. This is not a company that stops running no matter what. And we saw it in the most extreme circumstance in 1999 continuing. But as the question I raised on Thursday uh, on the hangout is, if something similar happened today, would they stop the show? And I can't even today say a hundred percent. I would hope that it would, but I can't. I can't say that. And you know, bringing up like the Lawler situation from 2012, I mean, that would be evidence that it's. I, I'm right to question that. Sure. And how like how weird that you know, like you know you guys mentioned it last night, and I, I thought about it today. How weird that it was Jerry Lawler who was, I would say, you know, in a pretty recent version of I think. Something like that when it was Lawler who was one of the first people to check on Owen in the ring when this happened. And Brett was at that Raw that Lawler had the oh, wow. the, the heart issue. He was there. It was like a Bret Hart appreciation night or, or or something like that. He was there for a segment, I think, with CM Punk that night. It was his first time back at um in Montreal since the Survivor Series. That's kind of how it was kind of advertised uh, in the lead up to it. Um, I definitely recommend everyone read Martha Hart's book. And I think, you know, the unfortunate part is that, you know, you watch this and people seeing so many of these different um, elements of the case, like it does tell me that a, a book that is heavy on like details of such, it's it's not going to reach a wide audience. It's going to be a very small number that are going to seek out that, that book, which has been out for almost 18 years. And yeah. it's a like it is it goes into all the detail, which. I mean, you read that book and then you hear Jerry McDivitt stating that Martha had no interest in finding out what really happened. I mean, it's just fallacy. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, what what do you think would compel, like, WWE? And again, like, I don't know if this is Jerry McDivitt acting on himself or, like, you know, as part of the WWE, but, like, just of all weeks to... Anyway, I don't know. It's just some, some of the, like, the verbal kind of back and forth that that's still occurring is, is still pretty crazy to me. I mean, I, I took it to be like a lot of arguing about semantics on Jerry McDivitt's part about, you know, it was never about breach of contract. It was, uh, you know, the change of venue and we were enforcing this. I'm like that, that kind of sounds like, okay, there's a clause that you are enforcing that was agreed upon. And that's like mm. what it, it just, to me, uh, completely horrible timing. And I think this is a case that, a, a wider amount of people have a deeper understanding of this case now uh, because of this episode. And I think that means that a lot of good comes out of this, that more people understand this. And I think it's that much harder to um, defend WWE in this. And more importantly, uh, not just the, all the issues that happened that night, but also the handling of it after the fact. And yeah, um, to, to me, it's it's a really ugly story afterwards too. Like the the infighting with the family, but also like Martha versus this company. Completely, but like you know, if there's any silver lining, again, it's it's the fact that I think like Martha and Oge um, have really grown up to be like, I would say like incredibly strong people as a result of something like this. 
like even in the documentary like this there seem to be many instances of, of martha like proving her how brave she is you know somebody who seems to challenge face challenges head on instead of running away like it, describing in detail her seeing owen in the casket for the first time and screaming and wanting to run away brett restraining her but then you know finding mustering the strength to confront the image and accepting that this is you know this is the person she loved in life and therefore she will love in death her taking her children to see the place their father fell from like not many people would do that you know take your children to the crime scene many people would just like never want to visit it again especially if it was you know in another city but um to me like that that is like great bravery and and the level of respect for your children's intelligence to be able to you know believe that they would be able to emotionally handle something like this and to not let it completely control you uh through fear yeah i mean it's um to me, to me, it's a it's a remarkable story that uh, those three came out of this uh, from and having that perspective on something that that could have been um, much different, differently handled. And you know, it seems like I, I was really glad that the children were part of this. Uh, I'm glad that Martha was willing to talk about this and doing uh, numerous interviews. Um, I, I think that it it, it added so much uh, to the story. Um, yeah. Um, it's, it's one that, um, probably we'll talk about again because there, there is a documentary that's been in the works for a long time that does have the involvement of Martha and the family as well. So, uh, I, I don't know if this, um, changes any of that direction or not, but that's, you know, um, kind of a, a deeper, you know, a documentary, they would in theory have a lot more time to, um, go into uh, other details of the story as well. How long have they been working on that? You know? It's been several years um, that they've been uh, working on it. I, th- um, hmm. yeah, several years. Like I know they they've done stuff. Like Martha has posted, the, you know, photos of you know them shooting stuff, and um, yeah, I I don't know what the status of. I could actually check on that, but it's do, yeah. Do you remember much about the Paul J. Owen Hart documentary? Yeah. So the the Paul J. Paul J. Who is the the producer of Wrestling with Shadows? They got a piece out on Owen in the fall of 1999 and it was largely like they did some new interviews obviously like they interviewed McFoley they interviewed some people uh, connected to the story but a lot of it was extra footage they had from wrestling with shadows of Owen and people around him and they aired it um in Canada and I think on A&E as well in, in the states in the fall of 1999 and I I have that somewhere I don't know if it's online if it's it might even be on YouTube for all I know. I haven't watched it in years, but yeah, that was it was called the the life and death of Owen Hart. And I mean, I know, I mean, that was probably produced um, without even a lot of these details coming out. But do you, do you recall like how much perhaps I don't know information regarding his death that was was in that, or was it just largely more so like you know stuff about him when he was alive? I, I would imagine it was a lot of like preliminary information and stuff that just because I mean the the investigation is like or at least the the lawsuit is kind of in play at that time so it's not even like all these different people have been deposed and that they had access to a lot of the more technical information it's it's actually something I'd be curious to go and and rewatch that because it's been so many years of what access they had but I will say one thing they did have in that 
special um, that's showing in this is Vince McMahon at that press conference after Over the Edge and getting on that one female reporter. Yeah. Uh, that was something I think only the Paul J piece actually had the video of, and and then they had it here in the Dark Side piece. And it just makes him come across like oh, you, yeah. like I, I don't know how much leeway you give this guy who's having one of the worst days of his professional career, mm-hmm. but at the same time, man, Vince McMahon lives up to every horrible stereotype you have of the man in that moment, just shouting down this female reporter who is, um, you know, asking a question about you know tra- uh, trying out this stunt earlier, and just you know Vince clearly not wanting to participate in this press conference. Uh, from what uh, some quick research that I found, if if you're curious about the Paul J. Owen Hart documentary, it exists as a bonus on a second disc to rest, uh, Hitman Hart Wrestling with Shadows, uh, at least on Canadian Amazon. I'm not sure about other Amazons. And at least on Canadian iTunes, you could download that documentary as well. Um, but yeah. Well, well, if I can find a VCR, I do have it on tape somewhere here. <laughs> All right. Yeah, um, you know, I, I'm I'm certainly curious about your thoughts, John. Like having like being so close to to the subject, um, you know, was there new information that that you felt like this this episode um, showed? And conversely, was there missing information that you felt like they they should have uh, they could have used more of? I mean, I was kind of just curious of like who all would be interviewed. I I kind of liked the way they went about it. That it was a big focus on on the family, and I think that was going to resonate with a lot more people of kind of the the lasting impact that this had on the family. Um, yeah, certainly. I, I get like again, like an entire book was written on this case. So you're trying to condense that to 44 minutes. It's it's very difficult, and I can also appreciate like that this is one where you can really go into very minute detail about all of the rigging stuff, which I, I think that you know there's there's people you would like to hear about, and I think uh, it, it mainly comes from like the actual performance of the stunt. Um, and I just look at kind of the like the larger thing that really hit me when we were doing the the interview on the hangout is just you know if you're Owen Hart in this particular case on that day, like. There is a consistent from a lot of people that were around him. They all acknowledge he was very uh, concerned about doing this stunt. He did not want to do it. And yet he still did go ahead and do it. And you just have to wonder if he did not voice his displeasure to the right people. Why was that? Um, Like we know Jim Ross has the story about going up to him and, Mm -hmm. you know, he conveys in this that, you know, I – that he was concerned and, and there's someone who, you know, is someone uh, like a senior in the company. Um, See, I could understand that because you had done this stunt with the company and everything went fine six months ago. Um, also, I wanted to know, maybe get some clarification because it was kind of like briefly talked about. They did do a rehearsal, right? With Owen? They, yeah. From, you know, from when I did my story last year, it was like, yeah, several rehearsals took place i know some were like with sandbags but from my understanding and it was like pretty consistent owen at least did one run through of the stunt and martha in the documentary says she's not sure what type of shackle they used for that for the rehearsal um and thinks that it might be the proper one yeah and i mean if she doesn't know the answer i don't know if anyone knows the answer right um you would you would think that the whole point of the rehearsal would be to use everything that would be used in the actual run through. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I mean, if Martha doesn't know, then I, I can't say I know either. So, sure. um, but yeah, Owen was concerned about doing the stunt. He was trying to put off the rehearsal. Um, you know, when we did that interview with, with Trey Lindstrom, who is just um, 
that guy is a really you know interesting part of this whole thing. And the only reason I was able to locate this person was because in reading Martha's book, she mentions this guy by name, and I just searched the search the internet to find this guy and by i mean actually way was here with me the day he got back to me because he had um we were supposed to interview him several times and he just didn't show for the interview and i kind of had just assumed the interview's not happening and then while me and way were doing a show one day he messages me and i did the interview with way actually right here but he ends up picking up he's at the airport just getting autographs and stuff from wrestlers and photos and owen just like Hitches a ride with the guy. He's like, hey, can you take me to the – and ends up spending the whole day with him. That day that leads up to the accident, he's got Owen's luggage with him in – like he's got Owen's luggage. And, you know, they go to the uh, – I think they go to like the mall or something and Owen is not wanting to go through with the rehearsal. And the original plan was Owen descending with, with Max Mini attached to oh, him. Yeah. So like that that's – the other thing. Uh, and that, that's like the other part of this whole thing is that as awful as it was, there could have been not just one other casualty, but two in Jimmy Corderas that just by mm-hmm. the just sheer luck was not directly underneath Owen. And and that's the part like that Jim Cornette just is broken down thinking that here this guy is free falling and is yelling to for Jimmy to get out of the way. And yeah. I mean – it did, no, I didn't even consider that. Like uh, when he was shouting "Look out!" He was yelling it at Jimmy. Wow. I mean, and Crazy. it's uh, yeah. It's I, I think you know it. It goes without saying, but this is something that for for those that were directly involved with this, like this is extremely tough to have to relive this stuff and mm-hmm. every year think about this. And when this comes out, um, I'm sure to a degree, it's it's healthy to talk about it. But at the same time, it brings about some some haunting haunting memories as well for sure yeah for sure um but hopefully you know i think i i think ultimately what fans are looking for through something like a hall of fame is some sort of closure for you know their relationship with owen hart and i hope at this point people you know stop asking about that and instead use something like this documentary and this discussion that we're all having right now about owen as you know a form of closure which i i I, I certainly feel like is, you know, almost like a more honest look at, at exactly what had happened, at least in this man's, you know, final moments. I mean, certainly I would, I think it would be great if like there was something done after this to celebrate his in-ring career as well, um, even outside of like the WWE, if that's at all possible. But, you know, um, I, I, I guess I just hope like people just, you know, aren't really kind of talking about the Hall of Fame stuff too much anymore. Yeah, I thought this was, um, you know, the the Benoit one. I thought they went about like as as well as they could to try tell like just a horrendous story. But I think just uh, from covering this story so much myself, I think that this is the one that will have the the lasting impact of this season on me. This episode. Oh, completely understand. Yeah, I mean, like when we really think about it, it's those two events that are like at present the unfortunate biggest tragedies in um modern professional wrestling at least and um you know evan and jamie the other producer jason 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 the other person they they really had like i would say a really difficult task in trying to like present them in like a respectful and um you know informative way and and those guys and their entire team did a tremendous job so 
it's um it's a real service i feel like they were able to provide for for the wrestling audience and another mention i know like this got a lot of um discussion coming out of this episode was you know the lack of of brett and, and they did reach out to brett to participate in this and brett didn't respond to them brett, brett was not happy with the the montreal episode and i don't know if that kind of uh dictated his uh, lack of involvement here but brett was asked as well by the producers to be part of this okay do you think that Brett would have been – I mean, certainly he would have been, I think, coming from it um, in turn – my my only hesitancy about Brett being involved here is if this would have turned into a Brett versus Martha thing. And I think that's the last thing that you wanted to come out of this is this like back and forth with Martha and Brett about the lawsuit and about the Hall of Fame stuff, which I think would have been – that much heavier um, or la- uh, larger of a topic if Brett was involved here. Um, that yeah. inevitably, you're introducing a lot of conflict, I think, by having Brett and Martha on opposing sides. Absolutely. I think you, you would open open up that wound to like a greater audience about, you know, the debate about the Hall of Fame thing. Um, I, I think his perspective would have been good to have, certainly, you know, to see the impact of, of, um, of Owen's death on you know like somebody i think most people associate with him uh you know um i i feel like though the wrestling audience already kind of knows um for the most part maybe how brett feels um and so would it have added a a ton more information Uh, not necessarily to be quite honest um and and yeah was it worth would it be worth it if the effect was that i mean at the same time i think it's it's important to also show the 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 conflict between the hearts that came out as a result of all this that is a big part of this story as well well that's that's something i mean that that could have been if this was two hours i think they would have gone into like they don't even get into like the the allocation agreement that is you know that's you know that's that's the document that gets faxed by ellie hart to jerry mcdivitt it's Mm. like that's its own um quagmire that you're Mm -hmm. delving into with with all the heart members and um, you know, and from, from all, um, it, it sounds like that, like there were no restrictions on who could have been interviewed for this thing. Like Martha was involved, but it was not like she had creative control over this thing either. Right. Yeah. So, um, anyway, that's, uh, the final days of Owen Hart and, and was the, the most watched episode in the history of the series. And I think by extension of in vice TV's history. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems like that. And not that surprising. Like I think seeing the success of like some of the other um, episodes this season, you know, I, I the, the topic of the third season is is has been discussed. But um, can you see like a bigger story than what they've covered this season? Um, in terms of um, mainstream um, uh, attention, like it's it's Owen and Benoit. And then after that, I think it's like they could do they could probably do a really captivating one on the steroid trial. But I I don't know if there's anything that is going to hit the nerve that Benoit and Owen are going to be where those were just such enormous, enormous stories. I I, I don't know if anything is really at at the same level um, Mm -hmm. in terms of that kind of a story. Anything that comes to mind for you? Well, I mean, Beyond something where Vince McMahon is uh, sitting down and uh, being uh, put under the gamut of questioning. Uh, you're referring to like Bob Costas? What are you uh, referring to? 
No, I'm saying like Vince McMahon being interviewed by the dark oh. side. For, he has to like go through episode by episode and answer. Oh, God. The director's commentary with Vince McMahon. Yeah. Uh, the after show <laughs> with Vince McMahon. Vince on Zoom. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, no. As far as like real big topics go, it's it, like if we're kind of like at this point, I, I feel like they almost might have to like, you know, change direction slightly where i mean we will probably start to see more biography type of um documentaries certainly like you know there there are a number of like bizarre wrestler related deaths and i think lives that they they can profile um but stories as big as these two perhaps not yeah and honestly like if i'm if i'm the producers and it's like I'm speaking for myself, like, just do it, like, I did a fraction of, like, what this is, okay, of, like, doing, like, a full-scale documentary, and it was, like, when I was done that, that was, like, I was just completely zapped of the the notion of, I I couldn't imagine, like, these guys have just put together, um, what is it, like, 16 documentaries or something between these two seasons? It's, man, I would want a long break after this, um... That's a lot to produce. Like, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I like maybe they have a totally different mind, but I've heard enough interviews with them where they, they brought up the fact of like how much they've had to produce in this time period um, that, you know, they probably want a bit of a breather here. And given the the state of the world right now, I mean, that's kind of a they, they are kind of forced to take that break right now as opposed to being thrown into season season three filming in a month or two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's much deserved, and I hope you know whenever this stuff like uh, ends, they they hopefully have like you know a great amount of freedom to pick the projects that they want to work on, wrestling related or not. Okay. Do we want to read this dark side feedback? Sure. Okay. Okay. But this is Adam from the street. Hearing from Martha was unbelievable. Seeing the pictures of Owen's blood and the dent on the ring made me further dumbfounded of how that show could continue. Going into that room with the legal documents and seeing the actual clip that held Owen was unbelievable. Owen's costume and what the producer said on Conrad's podcast about his suitcase being in that closet still unpacked broke me. The two figures, other than Vince's, not present in this episode were Vince Russo and, of course, Brett. On Conrad's podcast, they said Brett never got back to them, probably due to his reaction to the Montreal Screwjob episode. They did not feel missed, though. Russo's voice would have felt out of place, as you were never going to get as emotional a response as Jim Cornette's, given Jim's relationship with the family. As you guys discussed with Bix and Span on The Hangout, Russo gets an unwarranted amount of blame for this, somewhat from Brett himself. I also did not miss Brett in the episode, as everything he has said about his brother is in his book, including the amount of guilt he feels for not being around during this tragedy. He talks about going up the rafters as well with Martha. He mentions how important he felt it was to side with Martha during the trial, and he has mentioned his contradictory views of Owen going into the Hall of Fame. There's no argument of whether or not Owen deserves to be in 10 Hall of Fames, as JR mentioned. On the same token, Martha's decision to not want to have anything to do with WWE, not wrestling altogether, but WWE is completely understandable. To give her a hard time of it is a hard time about it is just shameful. Uh, so that will uh, wrap up our review of the final days of Owen Hart. And that's going to wrap up Rewind to SmackDown. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Way and I will be back Saturday night after the Double or Nothing pay-per-view. And uh, that's it for us. Thanks to everybody for tuning in.